welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Cannon Fodder. My name is Joe O'Brien. And I'm little drummer boy, Troy LaValle. Oh, 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 and a Merry Christmas to you, oh, Troy. <laughs> we are sitting in your apartment. It is now fully decorated. You like my tree? Uh, you got a tree. There's a little cat next to the tree. It's like a present for me. It came with the tree. <laughs> Oh, man, you got lights hanging up all around. I don't screw around with Christmas. Their uh, their buzz better not get into our mics. I don't don't, don't like that background noise. (laughs) I've got a hot hot mic here from those lights. It is. It's very Christmassy in here. You you do the Christmas thing, huh? I I love it, Joe. There's nothing I love more than Christmas time. (laughs) We recently had uh, your Christmas party. (laughs) It's still recovering. Yep, yep. I'm I'm still seeing some dents in the drywall. Where uh, yeah, that was Grant. I think he had a couple too many Lagunitas. Something little something something. (laughs) A couple little something somethings. That was great. The whole GCP was here. I mean, that's nice. We never get to get together with like other human beings. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Though I do end up spending at least 60% of the night in a corner with Skid <laughs> talking about what's uh, next for Nestor and Sir Will. Uh, no, it is uh, it is that time of year to, yeah. to gather around friends and family, and if you can, if you can, get some gaming in. Yep. You know, if you can. I just, last night, I, I got a Roll20 in with some family. It was fantastic. And I just, like... You ran a, a Pathfinder scenario that you've now run, what, four times? I've now run it four times. That's and you know, amazing. there's a lot of Pathfinder Society people out there that do this. They run PFSs multiple times for different groups at cons and stuff sure. like that. And I've never done that before. And man, oh man, is that the way to go? Because you just, my prep is, my the time I put into prepping this was zero. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, to be fair, I did have to put it on roll 20, so there was that. Sure. But I almost even put it on roll 20 by memory. Like, I didn't even, <laughs> I had to, you know, pull the maps in and yeah. everything. But, like, it is just, I, I know it so well, and I've seen players attack it from so many angles that I've also come up with other great ideas to expand it and change it and make it more challenging here and a little less challenging there. It's it's the best way to work is to rerun the same thing multiple times. You basically, it's like you've put a play in repertory. Yeah. You know, you have that session yeah. ready to go. And, and now and we're moving to Broadway. Right. Uh, you made it. <laughs> you made it. Uh, oh, but it's great. It's that time of year. You know, I've never actually played with uh, just my family members in, in my life. And this was a, a time for that. My uh, my cousins who listen to the show got my uncle into it. And, That's cool. And we all, we all played D- or Pathfinder together. It was fantastic. And it's... It's that time of year. Merry Christmas, good buddy. Hey, hey Merry hey, Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Pal. We just shook hands. If you couldn't hear that. All right, song. let's let's get into the nitty gritty of episode eighty-two of the Glass Cannon Podcast. Mm, Christmas came early for you guys. I wish I had a drop all of a sudden right there. I just sounded like I needed a drop. Episode eighty-two of the Glass Cannon Podcast. Wow, eighty-two, eighty-two. Uh, it is once again, Troy. I just like ah, I don't want to get too cocky, but I just want to <laughs> say the crew is clicking. The group is finally. Well, you know, it's not like we were that awful. It's not like we were the bad news bears, but now we are really cooking with gas, so to speak. I hope people can understand the difference between, for example, you guys taking on the Ettercaps and you guys taking on the Ogres. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, they are not, 
there are two completely different reasons why you guys succeeded so well. The right. ogres are a tougher encounter, and you handled them because you're thinking in terms of strategy now. Mm-hmm. Just like you did with the Cyclops. We said it last week in last week's Cannon Fodder. Like, you guys approached that systematically and yeah. had a plan, and that's why you're able to take down this very difficult encounter. And we're also not metagaming. That's the thing, no. is we are thinking better in terms of our character's strengths and our limitations. Mm-hmm. So it's you say, Sir Will, Umlo, guys, hold back. You guys are not very stealthy. I mean, Sir Will is, you, you, can, you have to appreciate as a player do not argue against your GM about how you should be able to sneak anywhere in heavy armor. Right. Heavy armor makes a lot of residual noise, even when you're dealing with dumb ogres. So I was happy to stand back. And I mean, what a relief, you know, because in a certain way, you know, we, we are recording this game, which puts a certain level of pressure on you as sure. a player. You want to be on, you want to make sure that your character is always at least somewhat involved in some way. And you want to be driving the story and you don't want to drag it. And you want to. What it was actually very nice to sit back and watch Nestor, Della, and Baron work like surgeons. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was just watching experts do what they are best at and just sitting back, you know, relaxing and being able to see them envisioning it the separation, the split, the invisibility, the move to the back of the group, you know. Talking to the, I could visualize the NPCs. The entire oh yeah. Thing, yeah, I was there the whole the, the fire crackling, the ogres talking to each other, arguing about eating the people. I mean, it was just classic. Yeah. It was classic in so many ways, mm-hmm. and I think yes, it just represented how we are getting stri- strategically better by playing up our strengths and recognizing and appreciating our weaknesses. And in the end, I mean. I thought that it was a great idea for Sir Will to charge in there once, you know, the alarm was sounded. And you told me I could get there in two rounds. I was there in two rounds, and it was over. It was over. In two rounds, the three of them, it was, was it four ogre. ogres? It was ogre. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was four ogres against three non-tank PCs. Mm-hmm. And they just took them out. I think the biggest threat to that, because you guys fought ogres in the courtyard in Red Lake Fort, the biggest threat to that was if you guys didn't handle it the right way, innocent people could die. Yes. You yes. know what I mean? So that's why you had to handle it. If you guys it's just not a came super harsh, charging harsh. through, they could have easy, the guy in the back could have easily just went over to the prisoners and started killing them one by one or threatening to kill them. And then what do you do? Drop your weapons or I rip off this one's head. Yeah, Will's got to, he's got to drop. He's got to drop. What do you do? You say, you know what? Let him kill that. You know what Nestor would do? Let him kill that one person. He'd shoot the innocent person. Right. He'd do the uh, the speed. Shoot him in the leg. <laughs> or he'd be like, let that one die. We'll, let me, wait, we'll, let me what, guess. we'll mop the floor with Let him. me guess. You didn't see speed. I, I didn't. <laughs> that American classic, Speed. <laughs> starring, a, starring a young Keanu Reeves oh, and Sandra Bullock. Kanunu. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that, that could have went a different way, but I, I like that even Nestor, a quote-unquote evil character... Um, was able to put the goals of the group ahead of his maybe his own personal predilections towards how he would have handled that situation. Yeah. Uh, how about the image of them moving along, picking each lock one by one? The, uh, just invisible, the lock just lifting up, dropping back down the next lock, the next lock. And the people going like, what's going on? And, and Nestor going, shut the fuck up. I mean, it was just perfect. Perfect in so many ways. So... Yeah, so I mean, honestly, I I had a spectacular time listening to that episode right. <laughs> live, and uh, really, I thought that 
the most interesting parts, I mean, it was obviously very interesting, but I we got some new story stuff here mm. in this episode, which towards the end, and I love it, I love it, even though I hate it, <laughs> when information comes like this. Yeah. When it comes from frantic, abused prisoners who are basically giving you rumors, you have to work through, like, what is Troy really giving you here, and what is he uh, leading you Maybe not down the wrong path, but it, but not giving you the the straight dope, as right. it were, on what the situation is. So I'm just going to lay out some of the things that that we heard. We hear that there is another group nearby, at least another giant group. We don't know what kind of giants because none of them know what kind of giants. But they're leading around people, uh, what bound and uh, and with their heads covered, and mm-hmm. and uh, they're pretty sure these people are dead or going to die because they were either in worse shape or they were with much more violent giants. Uh, we don't really know. Mm-hmm. We also know uh, that there is someone named Gristlecrack. Gristlecrack is what they Gristlecrack, said, yeah. the Storm Tyrant. I mean, what is this? So can you explain who that is and why it's not Volstice to me right now? I no, I can't. I can't. God damn it! Uh, the the townsfolk. Told you all that they know. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to beat it out of them. <laughs> uh, we also hear uh, Aldern, uh, Alderman Shimmerin is still not here. Shinnerman is still not of here. Course, of course. So the person who we set out to find, who I'm like, man, okay, we just get this cleric. We can heal this ability drain. Still no Alderman Shinnerman. I think this is the longest in any of our campaigns. Um, ever. That we've ever played. characters have gone this long without being able to remove this ability damage because we've always had a cleric. Yep. Always had a cleric. I think that's... I love that. Now, Skid, of course you Skid do. probably doesn't like it. and uh, I don't like it. I, n- nobody wants that for Umlo, but I think that that is so cool. It's like an affliction. It's like getting vampirism in Skyrim. Yeah. It yeah. never goes away. It just stays. You cure it. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> fucking so cool. It is. It is. I, it is pretty cool. Um, and what else do we hear? Oh, Tinderhall, which we think uh, by a high knowledge local role by Baron, I believe, it probably means Minderhall. Uh, you know, Minderhall's Valley. But there was one thing, one little thing I picked up on that mm. I thought was uh, pretty much definitely coming. And that is, you mentioned they were taking them to a cathedral. And I think that you did not make that up. I think that is not. I don't think that somebody doesn't overhear the wrong thing and think somebody said cathedral when they didn't. I think we're on our way to an ancient Minderhallian some kind of cathedral, which is just a cool image to me because of Dark Souls. <laughs> because we play, you know, the image of like that sort of dungeon. If that is what, you know, we end up at least going to at some point, it's just a cool image. It's a cool image. So if that's not it, I strongly encourage you to rewrite the AP and put in a, a gothic <laughs> cathedral for us to fight in. Well, a least, huge one at with least big stained glass windows. The idea that you've thought of is at least now recorded for all to, to know. So. Yes. When you're completely wrong, you can at least go, like, well, it was it was a good thought. <laughs> I'm proven on record to be a complete idiot. No, I, I picked it up on it, on it in the re-listen, and I think that there's something there. So I'm excited at the prospect, at least, of going in and maybe fighting or something in a cathedral. It's just a neat setting for a, a Pathfinder campaign. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I'm not telling you anything. Yeah, I know I'm not going to get shit out of you. Nope. So, you know what? Look, I, I think that the combat was pretty self-explanatory. It was executed very well by everybody. This information we have is a lot of rumors. We really don't know what we're going to see next. we got to just go find out. So I, I kind of want to just get to a listener mail. All right. Are we going to sing a, a Christmas tune instead of the listener mail song? We always sing the listener mail song, Troy. 
Do you at least have jingle bells that you can play in the background? <laughs> I did not. Jingle, jingle. Jingle, 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 jingle. Something. Jingle bells. No. <laughs> Come on. It's time for Listen to Me. Maybe the Vince Guaraldi trio could back up Nick Lowe. <laughs> Nick Lowe, that is not Christmas time language. <laughs> Welcome to Listener Mail, friends. We have a uh, we have a foreigner on this one. Oh, we have Eric from Prince George, British Columbia, in Canada. Oh, I thought you meant the band foreigner. <laughs> we we have a question from foreigner. Little known fact: they're huge fans of the show. Huge fans of the show. <laughs> <laughs> the, the ridiculousness of that thought. <laughs> Eric, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, this is Eric from British Columbia, as I said, in Canada. And he writes a rather long email that had a lot of good questions in it. Multiple questions. So, yeah, multiple questions. And I want to address them one at a time. And I'm sorry, Eric, I cannot. I just cannot read your email word for word because it is very long. It's littered very, with curses. It, it's very, <laughs> so many racial slurs. It's just so inappropriate. <laughs> Typical Canuck. <laughs> <laughs> now we know why Matthew just can't stand him. Yep. Uh, it does have, though, a lot of good questions that I want to get to. So I'm going to try to summarize and get to the questions so, Troy, you can answer them. Okay. Okay. Here we go. First one is, he started running Giant Slayer. Oh, awesome. And uh, he had four players, but one of them had to go out of town for a long period of time. Question number one. Hmm. That player missed the entire raid on Trunel. Ah. Which... For us, what did that come down to? I want to say 10 episodes. 10 episodes, so... Roughly 12, now I wonder if 12 to 22, would you say? Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. But you would have to think, though, in a normal session, that'd be like three sessions. Sure, but that's play. a lot. Say you're playing once a month, that's three months. So right. there is a long, you know, it feels like a long period of time that that character is gone. His question is, how or if I should work him back into the story when he returns after this extended period of time? Ooh. So I guess the basis of the question is, you have a player in your game who has to go out of town for a long period of time. Do you work their character back into the story or do you just either kill their character before they leave <laughs> Uh, kill their character after they leave without them knowing it because we know Skid has done this in a game yeah. <laughs> uh, with some of his friends or do you make up story reasons for them to come back in Troy your thoughts well you gotta talk to the player and you gotta you gotta find out from him or her are, are you, do you wanna come back into the game like you got something you gotta go, do you gotta with go, this character with right. said character you gotta go take a job somewhere for a couple months you gotta do this like, do you wanna come back and do you want this character's story to continue and, and more and, importantly, are you committed to coming back? Because and if, even if they're a little bit like, I mean, I maybe. Like, yeah. Well, then you already they're answered They're like, dude, I'm going to yeah. do everything I can to be there. That's a whole different feel. Right. So if this person, this player, is passionate about getting back into the game, if they're passionate about their character and you feel it's justified. And they're not going to be leaving again in another month. You right. You know what I mean? I say let them back in. Absolutely. And, and let the character back in. The The nice thing about a raid on True Now is that you have any plethora of number of stories that could have happened. You know what I mean? It could be a, uh, a Game of Thrones type situation where Tyrion gets bonked on the head and misses the whole combat. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is one way to to play that situation. You know, you could have, in Trunau, he just, you know, he got hit by a boulder and got knocked unconscious for 10 straight hours. He was in a coma for two days. Whatever, you know what I mean? You could have that. Yeah. You could have him, uh, I believe you said, uh, he said in the email that he was thinking about something like he had to go protect his family in Trunau, so he just went to a personal, something that was more personal to him. That would work as well. 
so yeah, I say bring him back. We had this happen in our Jade Region campaign. Uh, one of our players um, had to go on the road for like three months. So I think he sat out of the end of book one and most of book two. Mm-hmm. And then we just brought in another guy uh, to play. And when this, we I think I had the character go into a coma or yes. something. Yeah. So it was, it was most of the end of book one, I think. And so he was out for a number of sessions. And then he just came back in but then later he had another thing come up where he i think he had a baby <laughs> and so we were like oh well, i'm just gonna kill your character <laughs> yeah well now you die <laughs> now you die but i mean th- this this kind of stuff happens all the time and it really depends if the player is dedicated to coming back and and jumping right back in without missing a beat then by all means have them come back in but you can decide how you want them to come back in are they just going to come right back in at the same level as everybody else with the same gold as everybody else right like oh hey we saved all your gold for you while you were saving your family at the sanctuary <laughs> you know I think that you maybe left us man there should be something not to penalize them for having to deal with real life for whatever reason having to leave the game but, but just showing that they have a little ground to make up right. that's all look man you gotta work a little extra hard to make up that ground yeah. That's all. You know, it's a, um, it's an Annie, you know, forced Annie in poker after you leave the table for a couple rounds. It's right. like, well, you just can't keep your money there because you didn't play. You know, you got to get in there and throw a little money back in the table and then you get even quick and you're back in. Right. So tell your friend we're going to allow it. We'll, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. All right. On to the next question, which is kind of similar. And I think you might have uh, started answering it already, actually, Troy, which is they brought somebody in i think is my understanding to fill this fourth spot but that it ended up kind of rotating and so he sort of ended up having this cast of people that were rotating in and guesting to play this fourth spot in the game but now with this person coming back it sounds like this spot might become the fifth spot and it might rotate Hmm. his question is do i keep a fifth spot that sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't and keep that character as an npc that maybe you know he controls when the player's not around or is always kind of going in and out of the narrative uh his concerns of course being that if he's out of the narrative or in the narrative and it happens last minute he would have prepped differently you prep differently for four players than you do for five players especially based on what the class is if it is the caster that changes things if it's the tank that changes things if it's the healer that hugely changes things sure so um you know what are you your thoughts on a kind of rotating fifth character uh, because you can't kind of get some uh, a definite commitment in the group I hate it I mean I, I just think it is group um cohesion is so important and if you just have uh, a rando showing up all the time it can it can make it seem less special you know what especially I mean? especially if any one of them is real annoying right stupid that that those are the worst type of people. yeah and they come in and they guess the character and then do weird things with the character that the other people weren't doing and it, it doesn't fit with the story with the narrative it, it fouls everything up and they hijack the whole session and you're like, <laughs> why, why are we doing this again but, <laughs> who is this guy but i think it's fine to have someone come in once in a while and uh play a, a vital npc who the gm is already playing every single session a perfect example would be like if you were in a situation like ours and once in a while we wanted someone to come in and play umlo yeah you know umlo is now a part of the story but he's not a um I, I wouldn't have it like joe if you had to go out of town for a month i wouldn't have someone come in and play sir will right i'd just kill him <laughs> and then i'd kill you for not prioritizing the game gladly uh, but yeah i think having him having him or her or a rotating person come in and play an NPC because all of these adventure paths are written where you join up with NPCs that join the party for a limited amount of time whether it be for a mission or in the case of Umlo I'm almost with you now to the ends of the earth 
Imagine if Umlo lasts till the end of this story. That'd, That'd be, be insane. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about if if Umlo became a very seriously ingrained character in the narrative and and really liked. You know, after we talked on Cannon Fodder, we, we talked, what was it? We talked about him being, you know, with the baby. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. The baby and being more likable, more sympathetic. His save the cat moment, the eight-legged cat moment. <laughs> you have this element of, like, I wonder if we could get him to that place. But that's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of work to get him there. But It is. And sometimes it's out of our control. You know what I mean? The dice are going to roll one way. Whoever's playing him that day is going to make a decision that's going to forever, uh, you know, broaden the tapestry of Umla. Of course, of course. Well, in response to this question, I'm just going to go with a hard no because (laughs) I want to just say, look, when it comes to building a group, you said, Troy, group cohesion. That is hugely important. You should feel like a team and you should feel like you're all committed to the game. If it's going to be every Thursday and said person or two is like, well, I mean, I can't possibly do that. I just had a baby. I could do once a month. uh, So maybe every third session, you know, I come in and I play this NPC or whatever. I understand you want to be loyal to your friend. I understand that having a baby is, I I know exactly what that is and what that entails and what that means. And you don't want to penalize them for that. But by that same token, if they're a good enough friend, they should understand, like, we got to move on. Like, I'm sorry, but hey, occasionally we can play one-offs. We can play PFSs together when you're available. But for a long-term campaign, you should stick with a group that is always going to play together and even if, you know, oh, we have to cancel a week here or there and we push another week, okay, that's fine. But you're keeping that group together and then you're going to create really great narrative and memories that are going to stick. Because if you have an inside joke with four of you that one person doesn't get, then you feel bad bringing up the yeah. joke. And then, you know, they're not really understanding what had happened, even if it's something that isn't a joke, even if it's something that is an important part of the story that they miss. And you have to explain to them the whole background or what had happened. You've got three or four other players that are committing their time to, you know, what could be a multi-year campaign. Like, they take it very seriously. They've taken the time out of their schedule to do that. I I think you can sully it a little bit if you just have a guy that shows up every once in a while. Like, the players may not tell you this, but they don't really want that either. They don't want it. Even if it's their buddy. They don't want it. No. Uh, Okay. Next question. There's more. Eric. There's more. He killed two characters. And a boy, Eric. In this campaign. So it's Eric with a K. It is. <laughs> it literally is. Eric, Eric with a K is a man after Troy's heart, and he wants to kill his uh, his players. Actually, he says he felt he felt pretty bad about it. It, re- it really was a case of pretty freak die rolls. His paladin died in back-to-back falchion crits oh, during the raid. That's times three, as we all know. Yeah. In, no, it's not times three, but it crits on 18 to 20. That's what it is. In, which, in which case, he rolled max damage on both of them, oh. or in, at least near max damage. And then the bard died... In in a in a catapult explosion, uh, I don't really know all the details around that, but in a three d six, he rolled two sixes and a five, and he rolled them in front of the players in order to be as honest as possible. His question is: Should I be fudging rolls to keep characters alive? As much as he doesn't want to keep everybody alive so that there's no risk, right? He also doesn't want to kill doesn't want characters getting killed to be so common that it does not carry any weight with the players that's, which I mean, is a really good point that's an excellent point yeah i mean the first thing you want to do is stop rolling in front of the players do not ever <laughs> i'm i'm going to say this on record do not ever roll damage in front of the players ever 
because you just open yourself up to something that you don't want to happen and you cannot recover from. Yeah, you can't. You like, can't fudge once they've seen it. You had to have known that that character only had you know four hit points left and a and a ten con, and you rolled six six five in front of him or whatever you know you, you you really painted yourself into a corner when you did that Let, let's do a couple quick examples of when we roll in front of players i could tell on the, on the gcp well you know i'll let you tell when you like to i roll in front of the character in front of the players very rarely i roll in front of the players on important hits swings from my creatures when a character is very low mm-hmm. on the two hit not the damage but the two hit i roll in front of uh, of the players in a critical that's going to be extremely dangerous i roll the confirm in front of the players and on really important and fun saves that they're casting something at my creature i roll in front because if it's really going to be game breaking it's very easy for them to think you're going to fudge a will save to keep the combat going as is if the will save is going to mean the main creature that they're fighting is going to become their best friend so you don't want that to happen obviously as the GM and if you don't roll it in front of them they can assume that you're fudging it because you just want the encounter to go on In in a case where I don't care either way I roll in front of the players and I guess that's the main thing that I will say to, to keep in mind is if I don't care either way, I roll in front of the players. If I care, I never roll in front of the players. Yeah, I don't know if I have a system or not. I'm sure there's a savvy listener out there that would could analyze all the times I've said, you know what, I'm going to roll in front of you guys. And it probably follows some sort of a pattern. But I mean, I, I roll. You roll critical confirmation rolls in front of us a lot. I do. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't know I did that. Um, I mean, for me, it doesn't really make a huge difference because whether I'm behind the screen or I'm rolling on the table, I am almost a thousand percent of the time always going by why. It's, yeah, you don't what fudge numbers. Die. You know, so when I roll in front of you guys and then I say, "Yeah, I'm going to roll this one behind the screen," and they're like, "Oh, how convenient!" I'm still going to read exactly what it says on that die. I mean, that's why I love. Um, you know the the probability of, of just letting what happens. Well, then happens. why roll behind the screen? If you never fudge numbers, why roll behind the screen? Because I want. Because you do sometimes. Because I want the protection of control. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so he he just said like I want there to be risk involved, but I don't want killing characters to happen so often that it removes meaning. And so by rolling behind the screen. Even if you're, you know, a uh, stickler to the die, such as I am, it gives you that option of an out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If, mm-hmm. if, if a character... I want a character to die. When they die, I want it to really mean something. Like, if 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 Della had screwed up in that ogre fight and, and got killed there... It, I don't know. It just wouldn't have the same meaning that if, if yeah. Della got killed by the Cyclops. You know what I mean, or something sure, like that. Sure, sure. And I, I also wouldn't. I also wouldn't jump to too many conclusions after two character deaths. I wouldn't beat yourself up too much mm-hmm. over this one. It's two character deaths, and in one case, it sounds like the Bard death was largely a role playing death. The character put themselves in a lot of danger, knew they were putting themselves in danger, and did it for the good of the story because they thought it was what their character would do. Yeah. And they died because on a 3d6, he rolled two sixes and a five. Maybe he thought he probably would get close to death and not actually die. But, dude, you actually died. So I think that I don't think you did anything horribly wrong in terms of your long term game here. This is only two deaths. Yeah. And you've learned from it. So from here, I think that you can make some changes in terms of not rolling damage in front of the players <laughs> and in terms of being more aware of how 
quickly dice can turn the tide. How quickly a couple crits in a row will take a low-level character just to death yeah. right away. And just being aware of that, and but but I think having these early deaths sets a good tone. It sets a tone of like I'm not afraid to kill you, which is a good one. But you are right; you don't want to do it so often that it becomes common. It should be on the rare occasion. So maybe now give yourself a little stopgap, roll a little bit more behind the screen for the next year, <laughs> and for the most part, keep characters alive, and then kill another one. Yeah, and I think it's great that you've added the element that. I'm not screwing around here. Your character may die because now they're going to be hopefully not more so careful that they drag the game to a boring halt, but that they know that you mean business and that their decisions have to be well thought out in combat. Um, So I'd say kudos to you, sir. (laughs) Kudos to you, Eric. Uh, And we've got one more, and this is actually a follow-up on this bard who apparently, um, I don't really understand the situation exactly, uh, but he made a good role-playing choice in, in character death. Mm-hmm. So his question is, he wants to reward him in some way. The new character is coming in, and he's wondering, what so can the bard I- died, but in doing so, he made a, a bold role-playing choice yes. and died. Okay. He, he knew from a metagaming standpoint that he was in severe danger, but thought that like his character would do this anyway, and his character might not know the risk the same way he did as a player, so he did it anyway. Mm-hmm. The GM loves this, and he wants Eric wants to reward him for this, so he says, what should I do? Should I give him a magical item for his new character? Mm-hmm. Maybe a bonus to his experience or a bonus to his spell list? His new character is a sorcerer. I definitely want to reward him in this situation for role-playing the situation so well, hoping it will encourage the other players to role play more instead of just metagaming. Hmm. So obviously you know you you have our ear on that one. We appreciate that. Of course, that's what we strive for. That's what we want the game to be about, but it's what is a good reward? What is too much? What is too little? Troy, your thoughts. Oh boy. Um it's funny as when you started that question I'd be like I would just pat him on the back and say nice job and then let him create his new Oh, character no, I know what you would do. <laughs> but, you know, I do... Uh, as You would were, say, I'm going to let you keep playing in the game. <laughs> yes, that's that's your, the bonus. That's your prize. You're still in. <laughs> oh, by the way, your new character is one level below everyone else. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> um, but then as he rounded out the question, it's like he's trying to encourage the other players to make as exciting decisions even though it may mean those characters death and so in that instance I'm all about giving this new character he brings in some sort of reward just to encourage other people to do the same Um, now I think a fun way to do it is be equally creative in the way you role play the reward so if that bard for example died somehow work into the story maybe that bard had something buried in his home and they go back to lay him down and they find this home and there's a note on there and it's for uh, so it's such and such a name and then you guys uh, are adventuring along and you meet that person and it's the new character and it's here's your plus one mace or whatever it may be like, yeah yeah uh, you know you sh- if you can I'm, this is just cut off the top of my head because I didn't even know that this question was uh, right, right, right. on the docket but like just be equally creative in the way that you reward the character you're gonna just keep fostering that creativity in your group yeah and I it depends on the group a little bit for sure if you, it sounds like your group is very combat based then giving a reward that's gonna help in combat is what's gonna incentivize them 
I would hesitate to give anyone a plus one weapon. I would hesitate really to give any magical item. In fact, you know what a great thing to do is go online and look up magical Pathfinder magical items under a thousand gold. Mm. Items that are under a thousand gold. There's plenty of 500, 600 gold items out there that are really neat. Little belts and rings, oh, maybe not rings, but like belts and hats and boots and stuff that do cool stuff that doesn't break your game. It's like a plus two to bluff for this handkerchief. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? It's a little thing that just would help the you know their class out, their new class out a lot, but not be a headband of alluring charisma plus two, right. <laughs> which increases all the power of all his new sorcerer spells, his access to how many spells per day, his DCs of all of his spells. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It's way overpowered, and now you're going to be playing catch up with your monsters. So hesitate on that. Look up magic items under 1,000 gold. Here's another idea I thought of. This is something that we used to do. I don't even know if you remember this. Back in the day, our old GM that got us playing again had a, uh, a system whereby um, you could, it was a bottle cap, but it wasn't a like roll D20 twice and take the better result bottle cap. It was a story bottle cap. It was like you could take the bottle cap and at a certain point where there was, the story was gonna go one way or the other, you could choose over the GM what was gonna happen to the story with the bottle cap. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, it was sort of a, I think it was a mechanic that came out of Burning Wheel, out of Luke Crane's Burning Wheel, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Huh. It was a, uh, it was, it incentivized the players towards role playing. It rewarded them in such a way that it said, "You had such a power over the story, and I trust you enough because of the way you played that I'm going to give you the right to, at certain point, drive the story in a certain direction." Which is almost a you could say it's a guaranteed die roll maybe for a certain thing or uh, maybe a certain bluff check or a certain whatever. You're just saying, like, I want the story to reflect this. And it's just basically a very, very powerful bottle cap that you have to give out very rarely. And it you know, it obviously can only be used in a situation that isn't going to ruin the story. But the whole point is you would only give this to a player that you're rewarding because you know you trust them as a role player. Right. That they would drive the story in an interesting direction. And if you if your other players see what this player was able to do, maybe for their character's benefit or for the party's benefit by driving the story in a certain way, I, that could be incentive. That's very interesting. I, I I don't trust any of you to do it, but maybe in other people's games. <laughs> you are the worst. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's one. I mean, you could give them five pennies and say, these are all plus ones to attack and you can use them anytime you want. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. (laughs) He said, he also said, add a new spell. I think that's a good one for a sorcerer. Add another spell to your list. That's very powerful for a sorcerer because they can do it multiple times a day. You'd have to approve what spell it was. Uh, I've actually done that before. I've actually had, because I've done exactly that because character, here's two examples of things I've done before because characters role played so well, I would give them a, uh, a spell that was directly related to their role playing. If it was it was something they huh. did, it would be a spell that I can't remember, but it wouldn't be fireball. You know what I mean? It would be a spell right, right. that would uh, that changes you know reality in a certain way, an alteration spell to use Skyrim language, something that would you know alternate the situation that isn't a game breaker, but could be really fun and interesting in a different situation. You know, that's fun because a lot of times when you're only allowed like two third level spells, and there's just so many cool spells out there that, that you, you never use. You can't. You're not going to use because. You, 
you have such a limited choice. You have to take Fireball. Yeah, you have to take Fireball if you're a sorcerer. You know, I like that. Like, yeah. there's a great spell that you're never going to spend a slot on, or you're going to be tenth level, and by by the time you have the uh, enough slots to use it, and it's not going to be useful to you anymore. I like that, Joe. Yeah, because it also it makes sense in the narrative of a sorcerer. Yeah. Because a sorcerer, their magic comes from some mystery within. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it just rises to the surface. You as a as a player play them in a certain way and you say, you unlocked something within yourself as a character. I think that is a, a cool idea. Another one that I've done is I've given skill points for a skill that was used so well in a role play that I say, add one rank in that for free. Oh, that's interesting. You know, so it just, you, and that is sort of a burning wheel mechanic that I'm stealing, but it's, you used a skill so well, you did such a fantastic job with it, and I mean, this is super rare. I'm talking like once or twice in the life of a character, they get a bonus like this, uh, plus one rank to a, to a skill, or a plus one bonus to that skill, I guess you could say. Uh, so that's another option that you can look at. But yeah, I would not give magic items over a thousand gold. I wouldn't give a no. plus one weapon to their new character for free. Like That kind of stuff is dangerous. I, I honestly probably wouldn't give anything. Maybe a bottle cap. Yeah. Maybe well, I mean, cap. for you, you're like, this is the price of entry right. you know to be in the game you have to be not metagaming and playing as a role player in your game <laughs> right right i do want to congratulate you for doing exactly what i asked you to do exactly <laughs> right. what you signed up for yeah you shouldn't be bragging about doing shit you're supposed to do to quote chris rock but if it's in a new group and you're you're encar- you're trying to encourage this amongst people who aren't there yet then by all means give something to that player well, Eric, I hope you liked all the answers to your many, many questions. I believe it was four different questions, but I did like that email, and I thought it was uh, really apropos for what happens in games. These kind of things happen, and I thought I thought they were good. You know, little questions that kind of analyzed each different aspect of one you know, of the early parts of your Giant Slayer campaign. So, good luck with the campaign. Let us know. You know, write in. Tell us what you decided to do, what ended up happening, and if you uh, kicked out that loser fifth friend who's not willing to commit to your group. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and this goes again. I say it. Every Every week, but please, guys, write in. These things are coming in, and they're fantastic, and we love talking about them. Write us at glasscannonpodcast at gmail.com and get us involved in your game. We love it. It is a, a great conversation piece for us. It also helps us sometimes to to turn the mirror on ourselves, you know, yes. and analyze our game, what we're doing, and, and make sure that you know we are playing it the best that we can. You know? yeah, I noticed that like we certain things we take for granted and then we, we, we start talking about these questions and I'm like I, I still don't know what I'm talking about until we yeah, have yeah, this exactly. discussion right now exactly you always have to be learning always have to be learning so yeah. with that guys we really want to wish you a heartfelt Merry Christmas oh, to Merry everybody Christmas. who celebrates Christmas have a happy and healthy holiday with friends and family and we look forward to uh, <laughs> the next session, which you know, I uh, we didn't have even no talk idea. about that. I know, I don't, I don't even know what's gonna happen. I mean, we're there, man. We are there. We're in the valley. We're in Minderhall's <sighs> valley. We're in the valley. I can't. Again, I've said it before on Cannon Fodder. I don't. I can't believe how fast this is all happening. It makes me scared <laughs> for like be. how much is left <laughs> of this book. Uh, but yeah, to, so I just want to say Merry Christmas. You guys are the best. Merry Christmas. Peace, love, and joy to all. <laughs> Thank you, Troy. I can't play the out music. Stop it. <laughs> that should be the out music. Is this legal? Oh.